This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Nate Yellen joins us to talk to us about Kubernetes administration, Prometheus observability, as well as chat GPT integration. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have Nate Yellen. So Nate, what do you do? How do I reach you? Hi, I guess I'm most known on LinkedIn as that guy who posted that about Kubernetes and all things observability and Prometheus related. And you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, A-A-N-T-N. And you can also just send me an email, Natan, N-A-T-A-N, at robusta.dev. So yeah, I did find you on LinkedIn. I saw the posts that you had, and we'll talk more about those posts. So let's just start off with where did you first get into Kubernetes? Like what made you interested in it and how did you learn more about it? So I come from a cybersecurity background. I worked at companies like Checkpoint, worked on firewalls, worked on a lot of cybersecurity stuff, been a programmer for many years. And a few years ago, I went to a startup to work on the average cybersecurity project. And we wrote a firewall for Kubernetes. And at the time, despite having a lot of knowledge about network security and low-level stuff, I actually knew very, very little about the cloud. And I remember I did something very embarrassing that I probably shouldn't admit to, given that I'm now someone who writes a lot about Kubernetes. So I probably shouldn't admit to this. But I had a very embarrassing moment in my first week or so of the work, where I was running this thing on Kubernetes and I had some pod I had deployed and I wanted to stop running it. So I kept on trying to delete the pod. And of course, Kubernetes went and it kept on recreating that pod because there was a deployment that was controlling that. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was like trying to delete this and then Kubernetes would bring it back up. And I realized I didn't actually know that much about how Kubernetes worked. And if I wanted to do my job and even to write network software and to write a firewall and to do the security related stuff, I actually had to dive in and really learn Kubernetes first. And that started a long and interesting journey. Yeah. When I was working more with Kubernetes, I was doing similar things like trying new commands, trying to do things that are pretty straightforward and simple in most environments. But <laughs> what I realized was I, I just need to build one of these <laughs> and just see how it ticks. And I wanted to do it from scratch and not use one of the cloud engines because that's just too easy. You just basically just run a command and it's done. But yeah, really doing it from scratch, I think, teaches you a lot about how it works, how all the pieces fit together. So did you take a similar approach? Did you just build a cluster and just start pounding on it? Where did you find your information? So I started reading through a lot of the documentation, and I started to play around with the APIs. So I've always approached it kind of from a programmer perspective, right? Okay, what's the API? What happens when I call this API? And then what is that API actually doing behind the scenes as well? And how can you stretch this now? Where are the limits and where are the breaking points? And then when you're writing software also that uses the Kubernetes API and you're interacting with the API server, then you also start to hit various boundaries performance-wise, and then you have to really start learning the internal. So I guess I approached it not from the principled bottom-up approach that you described, but more from the approach of someone who's writing software for this and then kept reaching different places where that software was breaking not due to my own software, but due to the pieces I was interacting with. Okay. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of skin that cat, right? <laughs> Kubernetes itself, learning it can be as complex as the 
infrastructure piece. So with that said, it sounds like it's something that's kind of hard for admins that are running this to get their heads around. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges for Kubernetes admins? So the first thing is that it's fundamentally different than things that you're used to using before. I think Kubernetes is worth learning for everyone. I argue about this sometimes with people, whether Kubernetes is a good choice for small startups or not. And I think by learning Kubernetes, then you do have to learn a lot of new stuff, but it really simplifies all these common patterns about how you deploy your software, how you do now uh, like green blue deployments and how you do canaries and how you do all these sorts of things. You suddenly gain this power to do all these sorts of things that previously were very hard to do out the setup that I have custom tooling for. But the challenge with all that is there's so much to learn at the beginning. And I think the two major challenges for people who are getting started with Kubernetes is one, to figure out the right path to learn that incrementally. So to not drown in too much information, too much new stuff to learn at once, to be able to get up and start with like good, simple, basic thing that's working and that satisfies your company's business needs and then to learn more as you go on as it's appropriate. And then the second challenge is also around the observability and the monitoring of all of that. And then, of course, the third challenge in the world that I came from is Kubernetes security. The monitoring piece is interesting because if you think about Kubernetes, it's built for scale, being able to deploy very large applications. And not only that, they can auto scale. <laughs> so now as an admin, you're kind of chasing the rabbit down the hole. You're having a hard time finding where problems might exist because there's just so much out there. There's so many pods, there's so many nodes, there's so many logs. So tell me a little bit about how that challenge is solved by using something like Prometheus. Before I address the solution, the challenge here is really, it's twofold. One, the only thing that's worse than a little bit of data, a little bit of observability data is a lot of observability data. And then finding the right data within that and understanding the big picture and understanding what you should be looking at. And two, Kubernetes took away this linear cause and effect that we used to have. So it used to be you looked at a server and it had like a high CPU, right? So back in the day, the solution was simple. You got a bigger server with a bigger CPU, or you optimize your application and use less CPU. But now when you have high CPU, it doesn't just have to do with the sizes of the node. It has to do with what other stuff is running on that. It has to do with how you set your request and limits. So suddenly there's this nonlinear cause and effect. You have a problem, but finding what actually caused that problem is no longer, oh, I just need a bigger server. And then the way that Prometheus fits into all that is... When you have something that happens, and one, you need to be able to identify the problem, and Prometheus is really the go-to standard for defining alerts and sending those alerts out and uh, firing them. And then two, once an alert fires, then you need to pull in the relevant data to understand why that alert fired, and you're pivoting there. So maybe an alert fired on one metric, but then when you go and you investigate, you're actually pulling in other data and looking at other data. And Prometheus is also used there as the storage for all this different observability data. You said it acts as the storage for those observability pieces? Yeah. So Prometheus at its heart is a time series database. Okay. And what I mean by that is if you think of a traditional database, then you have a bunch of columns and you're querying like select star from wherever and you're filtering and so on and doing all that. And Prometheus is kind of like that, but not quite. It's built for a specific use case that it does really well, which is when you have a set of numbers that changes over time. And there are different types of series like that, like some only go up all the time, right? If you think about the number of packets that has reached a machine, that's a number that is constantly going up, can never go down. So Prometheus has stuff that's optimized around that specific type of time series. 
or if you think of tracking the latency in an application, then you're taking latency and you're saying, okay, what's the P99, the 99th percentile, and like how much latency is between zero milliseconds and 10 milliseconds. Prometheus is really optimized to store data that answers that type of question. So does Prometheus also keep track of deltas and trends? Can you go to a wider view where you can see how things have happened over the course of time, or is it very limited to a certain subset of events in a certain time period? If we're looking at the trends over time, Prometheus doesn't store events. It stores essentially graphs, right? Like you think of a graph back from mathematics class uh, in high school or in university, right? You've got a graph that's moving over time. You have an x-axis and you have a y-axis. That is Prometheus. Just the x-axis is always time. And the y-axis is some arbitrary number. And then you can have multiple lines on that graph and Prometheus knows how to track all those. But Prometheus is not for tracking discrete events. Like at this point in time, this occurred and then this occurred and then this occurred. That's not Prometheus. Prometheus is for saying, here's a number, like number of pods running my environment, like number of customers connecting right now, like the number of applications that have crashed in the past second. And for tracking that numerical value over time, that's what Prometheus is really excellent at. Okay. So walk me through how finding that information can lead me to finding a problem in the Kubernetes cluster. Can it get me all the way to where that problem exists or do I need something else there? So it's good at identifying the problem. And I'll give an example. So let's say you want to identify a job that failed in Kubernetes. There are two ways that you can do that. The first way is you do it by looking at a Prometheus time series. And that time series would be like number of failed jobs. And then you'd write a Prometheus alert that says when number of failed Kubernetes jobs goes up by one, then issue an alert. And that's the identification. So that's the identification that you had a job that you ran on Kubernetes. And by job, I mean the Kubernetes object that's literally called job, which is kind of like you could think of as a traditional cron job, although it could be a one-off job as well. And you can now identify someone ran this job on Kubernetes and this failed. And then the other way that you can identify that is you can also identify that not with Prometheus, but with a project like KubeWatch, just by listening to the API server directly. So you have some triggering condition, right? Like a job on Kubernetes failed. And for that sort of stuff, Prometheus is really good. And then comes the investigation part. You want to say, okay, well, why did this alert fail? And now you want to pull in all this other data. So there too, Prometheus is very useful if you know where to look. So you're going to want to pull in a time series of what was the CPU usage, what was the memory usage of that job that ran. And then if it got killed because it ran out of memory, you would see that. So Prometheus is useful for pulling in all the different graphs that then show you why that might have failed. And then you often want to correlate it with other data as well to pull in the logs from that job or to pull in other data that's structured that's not just time series data. You mentioned that Prometheus doesn't really do event tracking. Can it interact with the Kubernetes logs from Prometheus, or do you have to go into the nodes themselves or some other monitoring tool to do that? So we have an open source project called Robusta that does that. And what we do is we take Prometheus as the trigger. So Prometheus is the trigger, it fires an alert. And then using the metadata, oh, this alert occurred on this node, on this pod. And then we have an observability engine where there are rules defined that say, okay, well, when this happens, go correlate it with the dogs. Then we pull in the dogs and we pull in other stuff. So we do that. And then there are other open source tools that you could use to do that as well. Uh, you could also do it manually. For example, you could set up Loki or you could set up Elasticsearch. And then when the Prometheus fires, and you could do that whole process yourself and go and look at the dogs yourself and pull those in. So there are different approaches that you can take. 
but Prometheus itself does not store dogs, and Prometheus itself does not store discrete events. It only stores that time series. So it only stores what you would essentially view as a graph over time. It doesn't store a set of events and it doesn't store logs and it doesn't store that type of structured data. So this open source Robusta thing, does it have pre-canned scripts or pre-canned API module interactions that people can use without having to create their own? I know some people want to do their own, but it's nice to have examples. That kind of thing is what people really use when they're trying to discover how to do their management of their environment. So does that exist out there? Yeah. So you can install Robusta in two ways. The first way is you install as an all-in-one solution. So we install then Prometheus alongside Robusta using a Helm chart called Cube Prometheus stack, which is the most popular way to install that. So we give that as an all-in-one package and then it's all pre-configured. And then the other way is you could take your existing alerts and you could just send that to Robusta in your cluster by webhook. And then we have predefined rules for all of the default Prometheus alerts that you would use on Kubernetes. So for example, let's say a pod crashes, then we would automatically pull in the logs from that crashing pod. And then we would forward that to Stack or to PagerDuty or AppsGenie or wherever you're consuming alerts today. Or if you had a Prometheus alert that fired because a node ran out of disk space, let's say, then we would pull in data with a graph about why that node ran out of disk space and attach an analysis to that using the pre-built rules. Yeah, that's one of those scenarios where you spend a lot of time trying to find out what's wrong and then you discover it's something like disk failed or <laughs> out of space and then you kick yourself because you spent so much time doing that. And it sounds like Prometheus can really eliminate that kicking yourself phase because it can find those types of really low-hanging fruit pretty easily. Yeah, the data is all there. I mean, very likely if you're running Prometheus today on Kubernetes, then you're probably already running what's called the node exporter. And probably whenever you have an error like that that occurs, all the data is actually right there. So you just have to know where to go and look. But if you know where to go and look, then really solving a common error like this, like pod has some issue where there's an issue on the node, yeah, really it's not so hard. You have all the data you need to do so. And the natural inclination of an admin is not to think, oh, it's something really simple. It's always like the hardest thing. <laughs> like, no, it's something that's horrible is broken. But if you can knock out those really simple things pretty quickly... You save yourself a lot of time and it really just enhances the overall experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm constantly surprised in my career by how many errors are actually very simple things. Yeah. And it, no matter how many times it happens, <laughs> I always get caught doing the same thing. It's like, oh man, this has got to be hard. It can't be so simple, but it really is. And this is where automation and taking things like Prometheus and Robusta really come into play because that's going to kill a lot of those really dumb mistakes that we make. You know, we're not stupid people, but we do make stupid mistakes. Yeah. I mean, it's not just about not making mistakes. We're all really, really busy. In that previous companies, like I had a Slack channel with way too many Prometheus alerts that were firing there. I want to know faster which of those actually matter and which are important to be able to solve that. And Prometheus has all the data to do so. So I want to be able to make that data more accessible faster. And if a thousand other companies have had the same alert for a deployment that doesn't have the right number of pods, then I want to be able to use their knowledge in order to fix this alert that faster. And ideally to do so without needing to even generate new observability data. So Prometheus itself, is it Kubernetes aware? I mean, it sounds like it can find pods. Is it running actually within the Kubernetes cluster as a pod itself? Is it installed separately? Does it run in the cloud? Tell me more about how that all works. So there are a few different setups, and you can set this up multiple different ways. The most common thing that people do is they install Prometheus using Kube Prometheus stack. That's just the name of a Helm chart that's very popular that people use. 
And that essentially installs two different things. So it installs Prometheus itself. And with Prometheus, other manager and Grafana and all the other standard parts of the stack. And none of those are Kubernetes aware. And then it installs alongside that something that's called the Prometheus operator. And what that does is it adds on custom resource definitions or CRVs for Kubernetes, which is a fancy way of saying it essentially installs a Kubernetes extension that makes Prometheus native in Kubernetes. So instead of adding some config map somewhere and defining my rules in there, I can run kubectl edit Prometheus rule, and I can define my Prometheus rules and my alerts and all that as if it was a native Kubernetes object, just the way I would define a deployment or I would define a service or some other Kubernetes object. And that makes it a little more native when you set it up and when you define it. And then the one challenge though is when alerts fire, then sometimes like the alerts aren't really Kubernetes aware. From Prometheus's perspective, let's say you have an alert that's firing on a pod that's running on a certain node. It isn't aware of the topology. Prometheus is aware that you have a time series, like the number of pods that crashed in the last 10 minutes, right? And it's looking at that time series. And now it notes that that went up by one. And then on that, there are tables, there are key values, like node equals and the name of the node, or pod equals and the name of the pod. But Prometheus itself doesn't have that contextual awareness to understand, okay, this is a pod, which is part of this deployment, which is running on that node. From its perspective, it's all just metadata. Okay. And does this mean that you can run Prometheus in the cloud or on-prem? Can you run it against a GKE or an AKS? Yeah, you can run it against anything. GKE now has a managed Prometheus as well. So you can use the managed Prometheus that you can add on to GKE. You can just take a regular GKE cluster and install Prometheus yourself there. There are options for running Prometheus outside of the cluster. You can use different cloud solutions that will run Prometheus for you. So there are a lot of different options available. Okay. So it sounds like Prometheus can do certain things and it can't do certain things. So it's not actually like a sentient AI. <laughs> like it can't solve problems for you. Is there anything out there that Prometheus can use that does that? You mentioned Robusta. Does that tie in here any at all? <laughs> so about the sentient AI. So Prometheus is definitely not a sentient AI. What Prometheus is, like I said earlier, is just the time series database. And when an alert fires from that time series database, though, then you can forward that to sentient AI, like ChatGPT, or perhaps not sentient, but you can forward that to different destinations. And where Robusta comes into this picture is we essentially have a webhook receiver, so an alert fired in Prometheus, and Prometheus now can send that alert to different destinations. So imagine that you have a Prometheus set up and you're monitoring your cluster, and now you get a message in Slack. So an alert fired, and then Prometheus just sent that message to Slack by webhook, and then it arrived in your Slack application. And what we do with Robusta is it's an open source project that runs inside your cluster. And when that Prometheus alert fires, then instead of sending that message directly to Slack, Prometheus sends that message to Robusta running inside your cluster. And then the Robusta open source takes those Prometheus alerts, it maps them onto the relevant Kubernetes object using the metadata, and then it pulls in extra data. So imagine an alert fired on the pod, then it can pull in the pod dogs. Imagine that an alert fired on a Kubernetes node it can pull in a graph of the memory usage of that node over the last half hour if it's relevant to that alert. And we have a ChatGPT integration now that's a separate open source project. And it can actually go and it can ask ChatGPT, how does ChatGPT think you should solve this alert? And then it can send to Slack that alert along with the advice of ChatGPT on how to fix that. Yeah, and that's really where I found you was the discussion about ChatGPT because it's the hot buzz thing now. <laughs> everybody's playing with it and everybody's creating different 
use cases for it. It's kind of like they're presenting it as a panacea of things to reduce the amount of work you have to do or to create code for you. Like all things, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the reality. So where do you see ChatGPT going? Do you see it as something that's going to eventually replace the need to do your own Kubernetes administration? Or is it something that's just going to kind of act as a tool to enhance the experience? So it's just a tool. And I think the number one limitation of chat GPT, the strength of it and the weakness of it is that it's very good at doing what you ask it to do, even when you're asking it to do nonsense. So as an example, if I said to chat GPT, explain to me why this other is firing, it might give me a reasonable explanation. If I said to ChatGPT, explain to me how this other is firing because one of the developers on my team just did something awful, it'll give me a viable explanation for that too. So the data that you get from it, I like to say you have to view the ChatGPT answer the same way you would view an answer from someone during a job interview, if you were interviewing them. If they're good at interviewing, then the answer will sound good, but you still need to see whether that answer is factually correct or not. You mean I shouldn't just take it at face value? <laughs> you shouldn't take it at face value. So. <laughs> So we've done some testing around this. I did a video on YouTube where I took a specific Kubernetes alert and then I ran it through the chat GPT integration we built. And then I looked over each of the things there that it recommended. Some of them made sense. Some of them were good advice. And some of them were generalities like that kind of looked like they made sense, but didn't actually have much meaning. The same way that I might call up a pizza and I might say like, can I order a pepperoni pizza? And chat GPT, if it was replacing that person, it would say, yeah, when you order pizza, it's generally possible to order pepperoni pizza. Like, well, of course that's true, but that's not what I'm asking. Like, what, can I order a pepperoni pizza? How much will it cost? Well, the cost will generally be between $2 per topping and $3 per topping. That might be generally true, but it's not what I'm asking. So it sounds like a really frustrating friend. <laughs> like, hey, where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting is that if you had asked me five years ago what AI would replace in terms of jobs, then I would have said AI is going to replace like maybe some of the hard sciences, or it'll be better at mathematics, or it'll be better at physics, or it'll be better at very well-defined problems. And I think actually what we've seen is that ChatGPT and the other AI stuff is really good at replacing the creative stuff. Because with the creative stuff, then it's harder for something to be like completely infactual Rather, there's more creative flexibility. That's interesting because, I mean, it's built on data that is very rigid. So it has to kind of figure out an answer from multiple data sets. So I guess to me, that's not so much creative and it's more of just, I, I don't know, there's so much information, <laughs> which is really back where you are when you started as a person. You're like, I don't know, there's so much information. So you mentioned chat GPT is great if you know how to interview it. So what questions do you think you would need to ask ChatGPT to help you narrow down an issue that you have with your Kubernetes cluster while you're integrating Prometheus? So I can tell you how I know one company is using ChatGPT, actually. There's a company I know of where there's a Slack channel that the platform team uses, and they use that channel to communicate with the developers. And every now and then, developers come along, and they ask a question that's typically a fairly trivial question. Like, how can I access the logs for this pod? Or what do I need to do in order to connect to production and run this or to get this data? And it used to be that they would come along and they would say that. And then the platform engineers or the DevOps team would like say, oh, it's this question again. And they'd go to some wiki or they'd copy paste an answer because people ask it all the time. 
or they'd write a one-liner if it's a new question. And now they told me that they go to ChatGPT and they just plug in the developer's question to ChatGPT. And then they get back a whole big answer. They glance it over to see that it's actually correct, that it makes sense. And then they just copy paste that and send it to the developer. And the developer goes, oh man, you guys took all the time to write that. Like, and it's written in perfect English and it's very long and like step-by-step. So it's actually very useful in that case. But it is being verified there by a human. So that sounds like it's really good for taking the emotion out of things. Because I run into the same stuff. You get asked a question eight times. You get a little frustrated. You're a little annoyed. And your answers become shorter and shorter and shorter. But ChatGPT don't care. (laughs) It's good at generating plausible outputs. You still often need a human to say whether that output is correct or not. Yeah, absolutely. And the key for most things that are like that, right? I mean, you need to verify. But it stops you from giving that one line answer that isn't going to be helpful. They're just going to keep asking the question. Ultimately, what might happen, though, is maybe they don't need to ask Slack anymore. Maybe they need to just ask ChatGPT. But then there's a danger there because if you're asking the question that you don't know and you need to verify the answer, (laughs) there's a disconnect there, right? Yeah, exactly. If I look at now this from my hat as part of the Robusta team, then let's say you have a Prometheus header that fires and that goes to our open source, and then we add on data about why that occurs. We won't add on to that other raw chat GPT output and say, this is how you fix this problem. Like We would never do that. But what we would do is we have a set of data that we know about that's based on rules that we wrote, that we verify that pulls in extra data. I could potentially see us using ChatGPT to generate an explanation and then having a human look at that or tweak that and see that that's correct. So I mean, maybe that would make sense. And then of course we have the integration where you can push a button and you can ask ChatGPT, but you have to take the output with a grain of salt and interpret that for yourself. So I would imagine you could eventually have an AI that can look at ChatGPT answers and say, oh, this is wrong. This is not correct. Or, oh, this is you know problem number 17 that we've already resolved here. So is that something that you see potentially happening where an AI is interacting with an AI, which is interacting with an AI, and then we just kind of sit back and watch the chaos? Or is there still going to need to be some human interaction there? So both of those have actually happened a little bit under the hood in how they train chat GPT, I believe. What they did, if I recall correctly, what they did when they trained chat GPT was they had humans generate a bunch of questions. And then they had the precursor to ChatGPT generate a bunch of different plausible answers. And then they had humans go and they had humans actually rank which of those answers were good, proper answers and actually answer the question and were factual and so on. And then they used that to generate another machine learning model that is actually used to supervise the ChatGPT output. It's interesting where this AI machine learning stuff is taking us. There's some really interesting use cases. So where do you see Prometheus in the future? Where could you see Prometheus enhancing the overall Kubernetes observability experience? Prometheus today is the de facto standard, really, for how you monitor Kubernetes. And I'm not an official Prometheus maintainer. We do a lot of work with Prometheus, but I'm not one of the maintainers. So I can't speak on that aspect. I'm not the right authority for that. But I think we're going to see more and more tooling around Prometheus about taking the data in Prometheus and making that better. And about surfacing the right data at the right time, and probably more also around making Prometheus more native on Kubernetes itself, tying it in with logging and with other stuff as well. So actually becoming an official part of the Kubernetes deployment stack, kind of like any CSI driver might be, it might have a Prometheus pod that spins up in addition with everything else. Yeah, so we have some of that today. I mean, it is 
a big part of that standard deployment for many companies. And then there's also stuff like the metric server. There's various stuff also around bringing Prometheus metrics into Kubernetes. Think about an auto-scaling scenario, then the Kubernetes API server actually has to be aware of the Prometheus metrics because it's going to scale the deployment and scale up and down number of pods based on some Prometheus metric. So Prometheus has to be Kubernetes aware. Yeah, if it doesn't know that someone has auto-scaled, <laughs> it might see that as yep. a problem. Yeah. One interesting thing that we see sometimes is that people will open up ChatGPT when they have a question instead of going directly to Google, which is interesting because ChatGPT, in theory, has more potential to be incorrect. Like, let's say you have some issue, and now you go and you Google that issue, and then you find a bunch of results on Google. You go and you look it up in ChatGPT, and then you get an AI-generated answer, like, how do I fix this problem that occurred? Both of those actually could be incorrect, right? Because when you Google the question, you're also just arriving on a random blog post. Who said the blog post is correct either, right? Yeah, it's kind of a buyer beware scenario. This stuff is where you really want to not do it in production first. You want to kind of <laughs> vet the answer, try it out in a lab somewhere. Don't just start monkeying with the pods because ChatGPT told you that it was good to do. Yeah, I think one of the challenges is how we can also capture that tribal knowledge and then make that tribal knowledge more accessible, right? Like today, the tribal knowledge is all in a way that's human understandable. A human can go and they can read Stack Overflow, they can read stuff on Google. But that tribal knowledge about what to solve and like what it means if this alert fires or how you should fix it, that's not machine understandable. All right, Nate, so Prometheus sounds pretty cool for the observability aspect of Kubernetes administration. I understand that there's a Substack out there where you have contributed to it. Yeah, so... We recently launched a sub called Why This Kubernetes Thing. And what we do is we take different things on Kubernetes, different tooling like Customize or Scaffold or stuff related to security, like network policies. And you look at why they exist. A lot of stuff out there is nitty gritty of, okay, how would you go and do this? And what would the YAML look like? And how is this working behind the scenes? And that's all important. But given the vast number of tools out there, there's also a question like, okay, what needs my attention? Which tools do I need for my business and why should I even care about them? So what we try and do is we try and touch on the why these things exist and whether you need them or not. And then to give you a teaser so that if you are interested in it, then you can go and you can learn about that and read more about it. Okay. And where else could I find more information? You can just find the first result on Google and go to the official page on GitHub. If you want to install Prometheus on Kubernetes, I would recommend people also look at the Robusta open source project, which I work on. We install Prometheus and we install it with that observability engine from Robusta so that you can now connect your Prometheus alerts to pod logs and to other data that's Kubernetes specific. And that's all open source. We also have a SaaS platform and a whole other offering, but you don't need to use any of that just in order to install the Prometheus bundle. And the Prometheus documentation, so just the standard resources, I guess. And you also have a YouTube channel and a LinkedIn. We'll add that to the links in the blog that accompany this show as well. Yeah, I'm fairly active on social media and I write that Substack, which goes out every week as well. And please feel free to reach out directly. I like to hear from people. Sometimes you do a podcast like this and people listen, but you never know they listen and you don't hear from anyone. So I'd love to hear from people. Just send me an email, Natan, N-A-T-A-N at robusta.dev. Say, I heard the podcast and... I like this part. I didn't like this part. It's always nice to hear from people. Well, Nate, thanks so much for joining us and talking to us all about Prometheus and ChatGPT and all sorts of other interesting Kubernetes-related content. All right.
right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Nate Yellen for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.